Whenever I hear someone say that the music industry is on its last legs, I can't help but smile. I smile not because I'm glad to hear it said, but because the statement itself seems ridiculous to me. The music industry is doing just fine, whether people know it or not. The coffers might not be filled to the brim like they used to before the digital age, but I never paid too much attention to top-shelf acts anyways. I've always been attracted to less popular, offbeat sounds. Now, I know the music we play is perceived as quite the contrary, but heavy music, hard rock music, for almost 40 years has always been considered outsider music, despite the odd surge of popularity every now and then. This noisy clatter isn't for everyone. Most don't have the calloused eardrums for it, and if they think they do, they still need it fed to them in tiny sparse doses. Of course, what accompanies this mainstream spurn is usually a delusional idea of the music and its fans. It can be annoying, but a small price to pay to have everyone else leave us alone to our music. And it's by leaving us alone to our own devices that I am filled with certainty the music industry, in whatever form, will continue forward, unperturbed by technological stumbling blocks. I see the proof in the small record labels around the world that operate outside of the established infrastructure, working diligently to curate a particular sound and or image. These self-appointed scouts do the reconnaissance work our collective ears are craving and release it out into the world for us to find. Over time, a kind of trust is developed between record label and fanatic when the latter puts their faith in the former. It's a bond that isn't spoken about often in the music biz. Why? Well, because this is a rare part of the music industry driven by passion and fandom rather than strictly dollars and cents. This podcast, in a way, is a byproduct of that mindset. I don't scramble to get guests. I take pains in choosing who I want on this podcast. I'm not trying to make a quota or meet a deadline or trying to drive online traffic to some website or turn this into a sideline career. Guests are specifically asked to come on because I am a fan of what they do. During the course of this podcast's run, I've had two guests on who run record labels, Brian Slagle of Metal Blade Records and Lee Dorian of Rise Above Records. And of course, Lee is the singer of Cathedral. I'm a fan of both their labels. That's why I asked them on. There are many record labels out there, but only a handful that I put almost blind trust in or use as a vetting process to see if a band is even worth a listen. There's Season of Mist, Relapse, Brutal Panda in the States, Rise Above, and Bad Omen in the UK. There's also Ectro Records in Finland. And in Canada, my home country, quietly and off to the side, is Profound Lore Records. I say that with almost surprise because the Canadian music industry, generally speaking, likes to think of itself as deep-thinking, safe, and folky. Sensitive and folky. Highbrow and folky. Did I say folky? 180 degrees away from what I grew up loving, and in its midst, just one hour from its center, lies profound lore, a label responsible for putting out incredible cacophonous groups like Portal, Monarch, Dawnbringer, Vole, Paul Bear, Prurient, Yob. The list is almost endless. 
I can't begin to tell you how wonderful it makes me feel that within my home of Canada, this sweet, polite, courteous country we are known around the world for being, lies this beautifully frightful beast of a record label. Almost brings a tear to my eye. What's even more intriguing is Profound Lore is a one-man show, run by Chris Bruni and only Chris Bruni, out in Kitchener, Ontario. There are many labels out there that purport to be heavy, but they only like how the word looks in a sentence and have no idea what the word means and sounds like. Bruni's label defines and redefines heavy music. Experimental, heavy metal, ambient, doom, and straight-up noise. If you like what you hear with one profound lore release, you can trust that Bruni's carefully curated label will not disappoint you. Recently, I drove up to Kitchener and met with Chris at Profound Lore HQ to talk about the label and to meet the man responsible for all this ghastly noise. I'd like to thank Blue Mike Microphones and Skullcandy Headphones for supporting the podcast. I'd like to thank Chino Loco's Restaurants because when I want a fish burrito, I want it stuffed with chow mein noodles. And thanks to you for listening. If you haven't already, this podcast is free to subscribe to, free to download, and all the episodes are up on iTunes and SoundCloud. Okay, Chris Bruni is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the kid as Danko's go out to love for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes give me in from fucked up. Stop playing hangs out now. I began to notice that Danko was completely nuts. He'd suddenly start making weird sounds and scary faces for no reason at all. And it, it wasn't just embarrassing, it, it was alarming. And now since I'm a devout Catholic, I asked my local parish priest about Danko's condition and he was sure Danko was possessed by Satan. So I helped my priest perform an exorcism on Danko that very day, but it didn't work. The dude is seriously screwed, and according to my parish priest, will burn in hell for all of eternity if he doesn't get himself checked out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready, because the Danko Jones Podcast starts now! 
Chris, I'm here. I made it. I'm in. I'm in the profound lore lair. I hope this didn't demystify anything of what you expect, <laughs> expected. <laughs> that the yeah, it's got renovations going, but it all. This is literally where it all happens in Kitchener, Ontario. Kitchener, Ontario, and yes. it's it's uh yeah you you know knowing you in just from what I've seen of you and you know you came to our show a couple of years ago and last this past few months ago yeah. And we hung out a little bit. Um, I thought when I'd walk into Profound Lore HQ, you'd have like pet sounds playing or something, something to offset <laughs> <laughs> all the all the grimness. Or no, you you probably would have been hearing hip hop, the hip hop I listen to. So that's what I when I'm not when I'm listening to stuff outside of what I put out, what I'm invested in. It's usually not metal at all electronic music um stuff like that so yeah i mean that's what you probably would have ended up hearing <laughs> yeah i always feel that you know people who dive delve so deep into this kind of extreme forms of music need to temper it with something completely opposite and then what you find over over years uh compounded is that these people like yourself um, have a real wide breadth of, of musical tastes. Yeah, I, I'd say, um, I like to say I do. Um, at the same time, I like to say, you know, I have a discriminative and strict musical taste as well, too. But it's, so it's, it's, it's a bit of both. I mean, with metal and heavier music, it's very, very discriminative. Right. Um, I do put out a lot of releases, um, or a decent amount of releases per year, I, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people who are interested in what you're doing. They have an interest in your label right. past the music. Yeah. You have become sort of the central figure simply mm -hmm. because whether people know it or not, and now they will, Profound Lore is a one-man team putting out very extreme music. So in a sense, you're, you're, the, you, you're the ultimate curator. Like you have taken... A very, very distinct, very, very fine type of music and turned it into your career. I like to think of it as, you know, it's an eclectic roster, an eclectic amount of releases. It's obviously not just one style of metal. It's a lot, you know, a lot of different styles of whether it's metal, heavy music, uh, whether it's not even, you know, dark music, not even metal at all. I've put out stuff that's obviously not even close to being metal. Um, like the Helen Money record, mm -hmm. the Parent record last year, and the upcoming new Dalek record, which comes out April 22nd. That's a hip-hop That's a hip hop album, experimental hip-hop. But, you know, dark, but still dark. And um, it's something that fits within what I do. When I posted about you know, the announcement for the Dalek album, it's not like people were like, oh my God, he's putting out a hip hop album. That's so weird. No, it's like, th that is really fucking awesome. You know, you, you do have um, a very uh, profound lore has an image and, and a sound, but under that sound, if you were to get a little closer, right. like you mentioned just now, the, 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 the people on it are as diverse as, you know, Helen Money, who's a cellist. Yeah. And then there's Paul Bearer, which is like a kind of a doomy 
melodic doom Melod- epic melodic yeah. doom metal and then you've got stuff like monarch and it just goes on and and portal and portal yeah. it goes on and on but they're all different um yeah but they all i love how you're curating this kind of sound and image and uh it's an ex- in, in its most extreme form yeah i'd like to think so too there's no really thought pattern behind it it's not like okay i have to get i have to do these kind of releases to create this image it just all comes together i know what i like you know i've been listening to this kind of music for a really really long time you know i know what i like in my death metal i know what i like in my black metal mm-hmm. i know what i like in you know my traditional metal doom metal you know i like you know i do have a broad palette of what i like as some at the same time you know i like to see myself as discriminator uh discriminative with my tastes in heavy music and metal at the same time you know it's it's broad as well too um i don't want to see it in the one thing i worry about sometimes but it's not really much of a worry is that some people probably think i put out too many different styles of heavy music and metal it's like I'm having an identity crisis or something. Mm-hmm. I can't make my mind up. Okay, I want to. This guy want to release death metal here. Does he want to release, you know, post metal here? Does he want to release, you know, what does he want? You know, there's no. I know. I believe. I know. I've been accused on the odd occasion of having an identity crisis in a way because I put out so many different styles, but I don't really see it that way. I see it as more of a a collective. Similar, st- like. Aesthetically, aesthetically aesthetically similar yeah Yeah, that's something like a lot of people like that's something that i thought only i could feel Mm -hmm. it's it's just a feeling it's not you know but other people feel it too and i've been noticing i've been noticing that as well too like you know when i when i put out stuff like purian like people see how that fits it's not like i completely see how they fit yeah or it fits or whatever in in the whole profound lore that makes sense to me yeah yeah yeah. whether it's you know black metal like leviathan or you know stuff like old man gloom you know it's all it all it all makes sense yeah well, in a way i mean some of my favorite labels over the years and what makes makes a label my favorite is you know there's got to be maybe three or four consecutive releases that i like okay right and then like bands uh labels like touch and go right in the 90s yeah, yeah, yeah were a great example of it i think what you were do what you were doing now um, See, I like that comparison. That's right. what I want to hear. You know, right. people compare me to, you know, I want to hear stuff like, you know, Touch and Go, 4AD, right. um, Matador. Matador. Right. Uh, what else? Well, there's uh, M-Rep, but M-Rep, M-Rep, M-Rep I get that. didn't I've really, gone. they didn't really stray from the formula as much as uh, Touch and Go did. Touch and Go did. Right, right, yeah. right. So, yeah, those are the labels I like to kind of model. You know, right. myself after, you know, some classic metal labels as well, too, or metal labels from the early, you know, when the stuff they were putting out in the early 90s, yeah. for example. But, you know, stuff like, yeah, you mentioned Touch and Go, like when Matador's doing 4AD. I love labels that that are like yours, that are curated, that are very, you know, very selective with the releases and who they put on and all this stuff. Um, but then comes the... Uh, enormous reality check. There's always expectations for different releases, right? Every project has a different has a different scenario, right? right? And sometimes there are projects you do it just because of the love of the music. Yeah, you know it's going to be hard to recoup. Sometimes these love of you know the projects you do, 
these smaller projects that you do just because you love the music a lot and you don't expect a lot of return back you know sometimes they go a little over budget um and you just do it and you're like i just love the music so much so that that add to attitude is there too in a way um but eventually you just kind of got to go hey i can't love it this much right yeah you have to they're they're back to the reality check you have to be like hey guys you know this is the situation where you're at i think what's so fascinating about watching you from the sidelines is i think you've over the years you've just like put out these releases slowly that have gotten everybody's attention and then when people start to like look into what this whole profound lore thing is they realize it's just you and then i think you have become this central figure now um almost um um threatening to be even bigger than the bands you're putting out just as a character or as a character yeah i guess of how you're pulling this off by yourself that, do you have an intern i have people that help me out um i have you know you work with different publicists and right. whatnot and i have a graphics person um i have a you know i have a friend helping me out coordinate things um but that's what i like that's what got me really interested in you is <laughs> You're in Kitchener, man. Out of all places, yeah. Well, people who are, don't live in Canada, I, I have to describe, Kitchener is like a real, like, it's not Toronto. It's an hour from Toronto, or in my case today, two hours out of Toronto. <laughs> right. Because of the tra- crazy traffic. But um, I found it interesting that this most extreme, extreme label you can find that's actually succeeding and in, in, in churning out, like, release after release is based out of Kitchener, it's, this nice, quaint... <laughs> it's well, Kitchener, the KDL, Kitchener Waterloo. It's it's very, um, you know, it's very entrepreneur. You know, there's a lot. It's an entrepreneurial scene here. Yeah, Blackberry like, and Blackberry. You know, yeah. there's Communitech. Um, there's a lot of you know a lot of artists um, in in the area. Um, there's a lot of small businesses, startups uh, coming up. So you know, in an area like it's very cultural. Like when it comes to stuff like art and um local activities and stuff like that that's why that's what i find in kitchener water in kitchener waterloo yeah but but i mean i (laughs) i've got this uh this the idea i have of canadian music and canadian (laughs) art it's like this pioneery kind of of image and you are this hellish hellish you're the guy on the block at the end of the block in the scooby-doo cartoon who lives in the fucking haunted house (laughs) that's you i'm sure some of the local kitchener you know the people involved in the scene kind of think of me that way (laughs) yeah right because i think some of them i think i probably creep out some of these oh you like heavy metal man i love iron maiden and then you just you know i love iron i mean like i love we all love iron maiden i love iron maiden too but then you whip out what you're actually working on and it's like oh this isn't really uh run to the hills it's funny it's funny like even (laughs) playing leviathan or something it's it's funny like kitchen kitchener is a very you know it's you know it's a kitchener waterloo is a city it's it's an area where there's again they promote you know people in art um, we have, you know, we have art festivals in, in, in the city, um, you know, music festivals. Yeah, we played you it. You played, yeah. we, which you played. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of that going on right. in the city. Um, a lot of artists, a lot of, you know, people, you know, tech, tech companies is the big thing here. We have the Communitech Hub, a lot of startups right. happening here. So it is a thriving community in that, in that sense. 
And it's funny, like if you look on, on Twitter, you know, a bunch of us are following each other, mm-hmm. local businesses, right. okay. restaurants, you know, the mayor. Um, what, the mayor of Kitchener follows profound lore? Yeah. On, really? On Twitter, yeah. It's the city of Kitchener follows me on Twitter. Um, so we're all this, you know, community because we're all, you know, small businesses, thriving mm-hmm. small businesses. And that's right. what I kind of see Kitchener Waterloo as. Right. You know, this thriving small business um, a kind of re- uh, community mm-hmm. uh, here. But, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I mean, I'm not, it's not like I hang out with any, any of these people or go to, I don't get invited to parties or anything like that, or social parties or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. But I don't know where I fit in into all this. Right. I mean, you know, I've gotten, you know, Kitchener name, I got Kitchener name dropped in some of these, you know, other music publications. Right, right. Well-known yeah. publications. So it's whatever but i'm sure some of them think that i'm like again like this weirded <laughs> dude that puts out this fucked up eclectic dark music right um, like scoob <laughs> keep on walking past this guy's house <laughs> <laughs> fascinated by the noise scene yeah um, only because i like it i like it but it's it's almost like dance music to me mm-hmm. where it's very hard to track right as a listener for example you know getting into hard rock and heavy metal like yeah okay iron maiden's coming out with a new album everybody knows right you know whereas these guys they just put it out sometimes quicker than you once a year or like they, there's like just like dance music the output is it's pretty different labels and in some of it's yeah it's it's constant flow and there isn't usually a label to kind of kind of market market and, and track it how right. do you find a band like prurient a prurient have been doing the noise thing for 20 over 20 years but how do you find them like how do you just listening it was just and how do you track them just listening to underground um just through different networks throughout the years listening to underground music you know you get into the noisier stuff then you read or hear about you know an act like prurient that just comes up you check them out and it's like it's really harsh stuff you know Prient has a pretty the rep the Prient repertoire is insane. There's so many releases. <laughs> right. And so, you know, the Dominic of Prient also ran uh, you know, he has his record label, um, which I you know, which I've which I've known of too. Right. So he's done stuff on that too. So it's just been I mean, in the noise in the American noise scene, there's you know, he's probably the one of the top the pioneers in the in you know in the genre and um so you know so, so you know there are people like that you've always you've always known about uh throughout the years just of listening to extreme music in general right even some of these you know industrial martial ambient uh noise kind of projects out of europe right you read about them in zines um they get you get you become intrigued and then you somehow search for these and this is before, like, before Mail Order was, you know, I guess this is the time, I guess, before 
you know, it, it was when it was not as easy to order something online. You'd have to actually mail in money right. or stuff like that, um, or the very early stages of online ordering. So you find you just like discover all this stuff through reading zines and you know just talking with other people, you know, saying check this out. So you discover you discover a lot of like dark, some are really dark, you know, artists within that noise industrial scene right some of them are you know are really sketchy as well too right sketchy how? just like just subject matter politics sometimes a, a little bit of that um the way they present themselves in you know in their projects mm-hmm. um but there's you know it, that was an exciting it was it was an exciting time like discovering all this noise stuff that was like I was doing that maybe in early in 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. when I started to really delve into into that kind of stuff, like you know, crazy power electronic projects from this, you know, from Europe and the U.S. And you just, it was pretty. That was like, that was a kind of a. I don't want to say it's a phase, but it was a. There was a moment when mm-hmm. I was searching out for a lot of this kind of stuff and just because you know delving into something extreme, you know, different in within extreme music in general right you want to i always you always want to i always wanted to push my listening threshold same with me like how when is it when is too much you know how much can i actually take so that would there was a phase when there was you know i'd want to find some of the most harshest most extreme power electronics you could find so i'd come across some pretty some really fucked up stuff um during yeah. that time but it's exciting you know it's exciting discovering that new, new well, kind of music like that what do you feel about um the advent of band camp and stuff like that because it's, it's you know what it's it, it's it's a great tool it's a rabbit hole upon another rabbit hole i feel because it's somewhere where you can legitimately you know listen to something before you before you buy it i think i guess it's a great you know it's it does help with the sales Right. Uh, Bandcamp, you know, my Bandcamp stuff does pretty well depending on the release. Yeah. Um, it's there for you to sample, check out. There's also it's personalized where you can even have they you put up links if you want to buy the physical copy. You're right. Yeah. So there's stuff like that. It's good. I think it's you know I'm a fan of it. It's I like good. it a lot. I like it a lot. It's, but in terms of finding music, especially in the noise right. genre you're talking about, yeah. and the ambient, dark ambient genre, you type in a, a, a genre or type in words. And what you're hit with is just this ocean of music, and I don't know where to begin. Like, you know what? I, you you know, um, I don't think for something for something like that, I don't think Bandcamp would be. It's it's an ocean, man. But it's if you go on YouTube and you type any of these bands in, samples will come up. So you what can do you mean like if you go on, you can you know people put up put music on YouTube. Yeah, they put like a video clip not a video clip, but just like the album cover yeah. and then you can hear the song. Yeah. That's, you know, a lot of people these days, you know, if it, what I, what I was told, what I heard is that the first place people go to, to discover new music when they want to look something up, if they want to hear it, they'll go, they'll go on YouTube. Same with me. Yeah. It's I do that like too. there. Yeah. So but uh, what I'm saying is like, okay, I, you know, I've done this in the past where I've gone, okay, let's, Let's find some like really dark ambient music okay. that verges on noise. So I go on Man Camp, I type it in, 
And then I'm like, wow, this sounds pretty cool. I've never so done that. I can you, do that? you can do that via genre? Like yeah. This? Oh, I know. Yeah, that. The, I've never tried. <laughs> yeah, it's the bottom of the scroll. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. It brings you to the actual page of the genre. The genre. Oh, I didn't and know And then that. it's okay. just pages upon pages. And, and uh, wow. I started bookmarking the first few that I thought were cool. And then I, like... But the thing, like, I think... How some, do I bookmark 20 But like I think something bookmarks? like that, because a lot of people are making this kind of music. Yeah. And it's so easy to put music up <laughs> on Bandcamp. Yeah. I think you're going to come across a lot of that. It's like, I can't... And then I just... Then you lose, you know, focus. And I'm like, I don't even know if this is good anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's a different... To. Yeah, I've never tried that because when I look for certain artists in that genre, like, it's a name, you know, I'll, I'll look them up via, you know the band name or the artist yeah. name. So that's kind of how I do it. I mean, like I said, it's so easy to make, you know, people, a lot of people make this music, they put it up on their band camp. Then obviously that, if you do a broad search, general search, that's gonna... Some of these were personalized by their name. Really? Like their full name. And I'm like, all right, let's see what Laura is making. Right, okay. And then I'm like, well, it's not bad because it is just ambient or noise or whatever. Right, right. So again, like I still, when you discover new stuff like that, it's just you read re, you read reviews on popular music blogs, you know, websites right. or blogs. Yeah. So there's a lot of that too. Sure. Like when it comes to like you know, because I'm still kind of when it comes to like electronic music, um, I'm still kind of new getting. I've mm-hmm. listened. I've been getting into it for, at least for like last maybe, four or five years. Yeah. So it's you know I'm not like a, an expert on it. I just you know I read. Um, you know, some of these popular music websites you come across and you're like, oh, they're all talking about this electronic music artist. I'm going to check them out or an electronic music label. There's an electronic music label you like, you know, you always check out stuff. They, you want to check out stuff they keep putting out. So yeah, it's kind of like, I like that kind of natural kind of flow right? where specific artists, you know, yeah. You do you check out through where, where the artist has been vetted through a label or something. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously like a you know, a new release by Warp Records, you right. know, I'm gonna wanna check that out. Right, right. So Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I it, it like I went down a rabbit hole or two uh, <laughs> yeah. like three or four years ago when I started to get into like the noise just as like uh, just checking it out. Like I don't know anything about it. I want mm. to check it out. Yeah. Of course, I started with some names that everybody probably knows right. in the underground. And then um, I think I posted something online and there was someone who reached out to me and they said, have you heard about all these avant-garde classical composers that have been around for decades? Right. And then that just, I did a search, found this top 50 avant-garde experimental classical, classical composers. Voice. And I'm like, this fucking shit never ends. Like that's when I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, first of all, met with the realization that people were doing this decades before I thought, you know, Oh, I had just stumbled upon this. And I like a lot of like, you know, Arvo part. I'm a huge fan of that guy's work. Really dark Corel music, really religious too. It's Mm -hmm. really fat. You know, it's beautiful stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have a background. You know, I played classical music when I was a kid. Um, oh really? So I, yeah, I had a musical upbringing. Okay. So yeah, I play. I studied with the Royal Conservatory. Um, oh wow! So yeah. have, did you play in bands? No, I've never played in any bands. That's the thing. Like, in high, in, growing in high school, you know, it was you know it was it wasn't cool playing classical music. <laughs> it wasn't right. cool playing Bach, Mozart, 
But um, you, you didn't think to maybe take that into the metal? I, no, I, I, I never did because, like, in high school, like, the people who got dates were the ones play, playing shitty Nirvana covers. <laughs> You know, at the battle of the battle of the fucking bands or whatever, right, right. doing stupid YouTube covers or I don't know something right, like that. Right, right. But it was never, you know, playing classical music. You know, I don't think it was cool in high school. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the reason why it was just because studying with the conservatory, I had a teach. You know, I went to a teacher every week. There was just so much pressure. You know, because you got to do the exams, you got to do the recitals. The pressure was just so immense. It was hard to enjoy. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was so hard yeah. to enjoy doing it. And it was just, I mean, I played every composer. I played Bach. I played wow. Mozart. I played Beethoven, Mendelssohn. I played Brahms, Franz Liszt, um, you know, Chopin. You know, you name the composer, whether it's Baroque, classical, or the Romantic era. I played, I played them pretty much. I played them all. Wow, all the main, you know, all the the main ones, but it's it was just so you could never you could not enjoy. And how long it. did you do this for? I did it. I ended in but just before I went to university. Oh wow! So and that when was did in you 90s, start? I started when I was maybe ten years old, like oh, early. So you could yeah, really so, play. Well, <laughs> that might be. Well, I wouldn't stretch it to that, but I mean, it was. I started when. It was early in elementary school, maybe the third, fourth grade, doing basic stuff. Maybe third grade or something like mm-hmm. that. And then I wow. finished in 96 because wow. I was going to university yeah. that year. So I couldn't continue it. But I accomplished what I wanted to do. I accomplished my grade nine conservatory. I did, you know, got the history certificate, my theory, the harmony. So I did all that, um, like written stuff. So I did that uh, for that part. But it was just like... It was, you couldn't really enjoy it because there was so much pressure, you know, you had to practice your pieces, you had to practice your technique, you had to practice your scales, your chords. Um, There's a lot of that that was just, and then when I, after I had that last lesson, it was just like, it felt like the weight of the world was just lifted off my shoulders. Like that, you know, that I've, that, you know, I've never even felt that much pressure during any kind of schooling. Whether it's in high school, university, really? wow. or college, or any of that. Why is that? I don't know because I I don't know. I'm not gonna say it was a teacher, but it was just like when I was in you know university or you know you can I guess there was a easier way of pacing yourself. Like in when you play the piano, you you you're playing a piece of music on the piano. You don't want to screw up. You want to play it right. You want to play every note right. Mm-hmm. Even you know you want to make sure you play every measure right. And everything, just the littlest thing you screw up on, it's like, right, you know, you get really conscious about that. Whereas, like, in school, if you get, you know, eighty five percent on an exam or test, right, it's still right. an A, right? Right. You still so it's got to be one hundred percent. You know, with with it, with yeah, with doing that, doing the, you know, doing piano lessons and whatnot, and the exams, like you, that mentality kind of, I guess, is inherent that you have to get this play this perfectly right right by memory too right so it's pretty um and i remember my last piano exam was really how should i say it was really um it was it was weird because it was in it was like the hottest day of the year and uh it was it was in this church that had no air conditioning um 
and I remember going in. I remember the examiner there was just like he had like three fans on him, and he was still sweating. He just wanted to get the whole thing over with. Like right. I'd be playing a piece, like okay, that's good. Let's go to the next one because it was just so hot. It was like a furnace in there. So I'm not gonna say I used that was an advantage, <laughs> right? When I when I did my last piano exam, paced it. But it was just like he was just like okay, yeah, that's good. Let's right. go to the next one. Right, right. I think and yeah, like I'll never forget that. I was like dripping. I remember onto I was, the keys. Onto the keys, my clothes are just dripping. The the examiner had three fans on him. Two on the side and one like right. facing him and he was just like Yeah. So but stuff like that practice, you know, you practice so much for these exams, right? Especially like the grade nine exam in particular, you had to know when it came to your technique, your scales, you had to know everything. Every key, you know, and ask you to do the chords, you have to know everything, every key. And it was weird because the first thing before you play your pieces in the exam, you do this you do the technique stuff right so i remember walking in and i had i forget what scale i had in my head like d minor or say d minor for example i had d minor in my head sat at the piano okay the examiner is going through his thing and the first thing he asked me to play was that scale i had in my head it was the strangest thing and i just like oh. banged it out oh because i had it in my head it was just great. but it's just so you know what's the probability of him asking you you know the, the first thing to pl- you play on you know for scale you play on your to start off your exam is a scale you've been thinking about the entire day on the way there hmm. <laughs> so I'll, yeah that that was kind of another s- <laughs> strange occurrence that happened <laughs> right right during um during that piano exam but um but yeah like i said it was just it was hard to enjoy Really, and I haven't touched a piano, a piano in a while. Since or since, was, well, not since, but right. it's been so long. Um, you know, the piano, the piano is still at my parents' place. It's really out of tune. I don't know. Like my sister continued. My sister finished further. She went a little further than I did. So I don't know. You know, I, I wish I saw. You know, still had all the piano books. I don't know what happened to them. Wow. You know, she went further than you. She went a little further. Yeah, because she had you know, more time before she went to university. Right. So yeah, she, she went, I think she, yeah, she went, she did a little, she went a little further than I did. Right. You know, but I accomplished what, you know, something I'm proud of. Does this musical background help you discern bands now? You know what? I think the one thing when my piano teacher told out of all my piano teacher students, the one thing I was the best at out of all their students was the playback thing the playback thing was a thing on the exam where the examiner would you would would play something for you and you'd have to play it back right just you know on the right hand not like this crazy crazy elaborate piece they'll tell you okay i'm gonna play you a seg i'm gonna play you a a measure this is gonna be in the key of uh d major and then they would do it and that out of all my piano teacher's students, I was by far her best student in doing that. Cause I would nail, I would nail it pretty much like on the first try. And you're allowed to make mistakes on the exam right. when you, when you do the playback stuff, but I would get it like wow. right away. And, and I think it's understanding the way melody works, the way melody, um, 
the way it's composed, the way it's, you know, I think, I think that it comes from that, mm -hmm. I think. So an understanding how, but like, let's say like a Leviathan, right? It's a very, you know, Leviathan has its melodic moments mm -hmm. as well too, but notwithstanding melody, but Leviathan like has portal portal is just avant. Yeah. No <laughs> melody there, but it's, there's a, uh, you know, portal has insane counterpoint going on mm -hmm. in their music. Um, it's very avant-garde. It's artsy. It's, uh, I love them. There's no like riff. It's, <laughs> it's like an it's, abyss. It's an abyss. Yeah. It's riffage. like a void of riffage. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they were supposed to come out with an album last September. They ditched it. No way. Yeah. So we're rewriting There's it from scratch. It's been like three years. It's been, yeah. yeah. And that doesn't surprise me. They ditched the album and rewriting it. Um, I mean, I haven't, you, know, you obviously know those guys, but yeah. You're gonna put out the next record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the deal with the clocks? That that was the curator's look. Oh, you mean? Don't they have a clock on their head? Like the, the curator dude? for one, like every album, he has a different. The curator has a different image. Um, oh, okay. So they're after for their second album. After their second album was released, you know, he he had the the clock image on yeah. his head when they played when they played their record i believe when they played the record release show for outre that's how we appeared yeah. and it was just like <laughs> but then when swart when the, it the got next my album, attention that's when, sure. when yeah it got a lot of people's attention <laughs> yeah. and then when swarth came out he had a different look to him okay well it's funny because in the in the in the swarth album photos he has the clock head Right. But when they started playing shows for Swarth, he had a different image. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was like a black pope kind of thing. Okay, right. So that was I his image. I see that. Yeah. yeah that was, I so, that. And then when they, when they came to, when they played Maryland Death Fest for the first time several, you know, several, you know, years ago, there were a lot of people who were like, where are they? Everyone's expecting the clock head. They're like, where is this? I'm like, that's past. He's not doing that now. What? So, Yeah. Yeah, I'd like call people over. Check this. Check this band out. Dudes wearing a clock on his head. <laughs> yeah. It was it was that video clip that um, it was that one video clip that got a lot of like. I'm sure it's the one I saw. Yeah, it's yeah, the one. But past that, when right. I listen to the band, I'm like, this is exactly how I said it. It's like an abyss of like of, of guitar riffage, and it just kind of like turns in. Turns on goes. It turns it on itself. It's inverted. It's, it's amazing. Very, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Actually, if you you know even even for just a listener of of music just listen to it for simply for the music for the, it's incredible for the atmosphere and then you know the, they have their, the look the costumes yeah. the aesthetic it all it all fits there it, it's amazing. it has yeah. this very artsy kind of the name itself is not a traditional kind of heavy metal no. death metal black metal it's weird and when i when i first like when i first released them for their first album well i got when i released their first album it was technically a re-release because right. it was only available in australia and a very yeah. limited pressing so I released it, and I thought people would get into it right away. This is so different. This is kind of warped, cool imagery, cool artwork, mm -hmm. packaging. But it was hard. I guess a lot of people didn't. They're like, what kind of production is this? Right. So it took a bit to kind of really. Did you find when, what is it, Vexavoid, Vexavoid. came out? Did you find people coming back and reexamining them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nah, I mean, people do, you know, it's all their albums are, you know, with all their, all, all the stuff, people are going back. Yeah. And it's, when, when I released that first, when I released uh, Sepia, it was like, okay, no one's buying, no one's checking this out. Obviously, I didn't have much of a distribution network back then. So, it was, you know, a different scenario. But yeah. it's just, you know, you really push for people to get into this fucked up avant-garde, you know, 
inverted death metal. And I think it's that understanding of music that it does play a sense into, you know, how I see, perceive other music too. Cause I like melody. I love when stuff's melodic black metal, you know, I prefer my black metal to be, you know, whether it's lo-fi or grim or, you know, black metal that's better produced. You know, I, I personally don't personally don't like black metal. That's that sounds pristine or nicely produced. I like it. It should be dark, grim and atmospheric. Um, but I, you know, I prefer that to have, you know, like mournful melodies as opposed to brutality and aggressiveness. Right. You know what I mean? I think so. people mistake, and I'm part of those people. Is they mistake melodic with being, you know, dainty and, and happy. Pretty. You know, when you say melodic death metal, some people are like, "Well, that's like, infl- you know, yeah. whatever." And band- you have to lead me to the to the melodic. Because, for example, like you know, even in our band, right. JC, our, our bass player, you would always harp on melody. And I'd be like, well, Melody, I mean, we're a fucking rock band. And then right. he would say, well, the Misfits were very melodic. They were, and yeah. Then, the then melody, that would lead me to... Mel- uh, melody helps make, you know, in rock, I guess it would help make a chorus ca- catchier, yeah. maybe. So, but, you know, Leviathan has, you know, plenty of melodic moments. And they're beautiful. Yeah. That's the way it's... It's, it's a matter of... This is how I see it. As someone who is a rock and roller, mainly... Yeah. Who listens to this kind of music on off to the side? It's when I can lose myself, immerse myself in the sound world they are painting for me. Right. If exactly. That makes any kind yeah. Of yeah. Sense. Yeah. An complete enveloping of sound. And that's a th- and that's when you look at a band like Leviathan. That's how I feel too. Yeah. Again, back to you know when when Jeff and Leviathan creates you know some a melodic moment in leviathan i think it's you know some people may think it's like you know evil sounding or just like or whatever i think it's fucking beautiful it's right. just like it's really dark it's morbid but at the same time it's a you know it's beautiful it's beautiful when bands do stuff like that in black in black metal especially right so um you know with cobalt especially i love there are moments on the new album where they're like melodic breaks, which are again really beautiful. And when Eric of Cobalt was writing the new album, I'm like, well, you gotta have these kind of moments, like you know, from the song, from you know your previous album, like this part I really love. Are there gonna be moments like that on the new album, like these really lush melodic parts? Um, and he's like, oh yeah, we're gonna have some of that too. So like, I'm a big fan of that stuff. So, yeah. and if executed properly. You know, so cool. yeah. Well, Chris, man, thanks a lot. This no, is, man, this has been. Hope I hope I gave exactly enough. what I was hoping it would be. <laughs> um, yeah, the twists and the turns on the traffic, literally. Yes, uh, I gotta did make not your, hamper. I gotta make your trip worthwhile. So yeah, man, yeah. and it was. But thanks, man. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It was uh, it was a pleasure. Yeah.